Welcome to the Worldwide Podcast. I'm Miles Irving. And this week's episode is going to be the first of, I think it's going to be three, that center around or, or, or touch quite heavily upon something called the polyvagal theory, which I have alluded to lots and lots of times in previous episodes, but we've never actually made it kind of the focus. Today's podcast is, is perhaps not entirely based around the, the polyvagal theory, but it does give us a chance to really dig into it because um, I found out much to my surprise when it, after inviting Rachel, Rachel Lambert, today's guest, onto the podcast that, that she had a real interest in the relationship of, um, you know, the, well, our, our relationship being at home in the body and how that interacts with our relationship to other people and the world around us. So it's ended up being quite a sort of central theme and gives me a chance to explain some of the, the basics in preparation for guests in the next couple of weeks. We've got Deb Dana, who has developed ways of applying the polyvagal theory to therapy, and also Holly Bridges, who's applied polyvagal theory to understanding autism. And these are sort of really you know, interesting people who are right at the sort of forefront of their field in um, explaining things which, which I guess have baffled people, perplexed people for a long time to do with our sort of mental state and well-being and really just bringing things right back to the, the fact that there, there isn't this sort of dualism between the mind and the body, that, that in fact our mental life is something very physical and grounded in the body. So it, it, just, it just sort of sets things, um, it gives me an opportunity to, to sort of fill in that part of what I feel is, is the overall subject matter of, of, of the podcast, which is how you know, living beings in, in living systems have this sort of interconnectivity and that, that overall thing is, is like a wild thing. You know, the, the interconnectivity of um, our own body is, is wild. The interconnectivity of people and other people when, when that's something that's free flowing and, and life enhancing, that, that is wild. Um, and the interconnectivity between us or as a species and any other species and, and their landscape and environment is, is another kind of wildness but uh yeah the bit about us and our body is perhaps long overdue to uh for, for for being a focus and and indeed what comes straight from that the bit about us in bodies relating to other people in bodies how that kind of doesn't work a lot of the time but how it could work if we fell back onto the underlying sort of wild system that's there in our nervous system uh both both you know what 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 is meant to be a wonderful thing, starting from birth with other people, um, but what can be repaired because it's it's gone so badly wrong in, in what was commonly referred to as trauma now, sort of locking us into our own um, bodies and, and making us unable to relate. So that's um, just by way of saying this is this is part of a, um, a little group of podcasts we're going to do on this theme. And uh, another thing I want to say, because it kind of comes up, in the podcast is this this thing about sort of the, the verbal and the nonverbal. So when we start looking at body states and, and tuning into that, we find that what we're tuning into, our body doesn't sort of give us a, a detailed description using uh, elaborate sentences to explain how it's feeling. Uh, we experience that directly as a felt sense, which is completely nonverbal. That's something that's really kind of dawning on me at the moment, um, how much of life on earth is nonverbal, obviously, because Animals don't use, at least not the kind of language that we use, and yet they're alive and experiencing things all the time. But also how much of our life is, is nonverbal. So that brings me to um, 
some thoughts that that we we do kind of touch on in this podcast. But it's like when we're when we're trying to use words to sort of pin things down. That's something we talk about quite a bit. What's going on, and what what would be the ideal you know objective in in terms of communication? I talked this through with Joel at length today to try and decide what to put in this introduction. And we sort of ended up with this thing that there's there's a, a kind of non-verbal communication, essentially, that there's something about where we might end up being in terms of a space or a state, which might be something that's, that's, that's really positive, and that it's possible to convey that space. And whilst we might actually do it through the medium of talking, that actually the most important communication would be going on at a much more sort of body state level and we'll be communicating with things like sort of tone of voice and articulation and I'm not quite sure how else with just a voice but it's an interesting train of thought because you know ultimately with all of the things we're touching on in the podcast it's more about you know states of being that uh, we're kind of mapping out this interconnected states of being reciprocal ways of being and if there is anything that, that needs to happen other than just sort of sending words across the airwaves it it would be to hopefully have found some of the substance of what i'm talking about in my own life and and somehow to convey that now i think i would be the first to say this is a very limited extent that i could claim to have actually come to embody all of the things that we're talking about here but nevertheless if i have achieved that at all i, I want to be able to um, put that across somehow rather than just um, explaining it in words uh, so I thought with that train of thought, it, it, it's interesting that this is a purely um, auditory means of communication for, for most people tuning into the podcast. And that's that's uh, quite a fitting insight to have, given that we've just decided that um, all of the all of the chats that we're recording using Zoom or Skype or other other means where, where video is involved, we're actually going to start putting those up on the YouTube channel that we have for the podcast. So. If you would like to see some of the more nonverbal aspects, well, see the nonverbal aspects as well as sort of hearing them, then you can, from from this week onwards, that this podcast will be the first to have video for it. It won't always be the case because sometimes we record in different ways. And, and for example, Holly, we've already done the Holly Bridges one and we, um, we agreed not to use the video there because we felt that we hadn't set up the background to be nice to look at and things things like that. But from now on, it will be the case. Okay, this was meant to be a short intro. I fear it's not quite as short as planned, but let's now get on to the chat with Rachel Lambert. Yeah, the polyvagal thing, um, it's really exciting. We've got Deb Dana next uh, t- tomorrow. Like the, if, if you know, the, the lady that did the um, polyvagal theory and therapy Oh wow! No, I don't. No. And and works very closely with Stephen Paul. Just so it's it's like um, a really big deal that she's going to chat. So I've been um, I've been trying to get through the audio version of her big book okay. the last few days, and uh, so that's really exciting. And it turns out she she does touch on um, there's quite a lot of references to feeling safe in wild spaces and in relation to other species. So I suppose it's a bit like the, you know the people working with um, traumatized people and people with autism and, and horses and so on, that yeah. there's that kind of social where people can't um, necessarily build a bridge to another human being. They can build a bridge to, it just shows that we are inherently social. No matter what you might say about someone's um, capacity or lack of capacity. Well, you know, 
if they can relate to something, then they can relate. So it's obviously just funny. anyway. What's um, what's your take on that, or what's your interest in? Because I didn't know either that you you'd got that um, background or or interest in. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I think when I've written about foraging and somatics and soma meaning to experience the body from within, for me, it's all about connection. Yeah. So everything is about connection and everything is about relationship. And my um, main teacher with the kind of body-based work, um, one of her invitations to me years ago was uh, because my safe place is outside and she, and her invitation was, well, can you find your nature within? And, uh, and that kept me going for a few years, that question of just how do I relate to my body as a natural organism and from there be able to relate to the, the world outside me. You know, I'm a, I'm a product of a Western world. Um, I get quite heady, you know, I'm, I'm all of that. So the practice of being able to come into the body and the intelligence of the body is real, is medicine for me. And it's something that um, I continually need to practice and remember. I'm not sure how much I know about polyvagal theory in particular, but what I, what I do remember, I mean, it's, like, it's an ancient part of the nervous system, isn't it? It comes, up, comes through on the front of the body. Yeah. Well, it's, it's um, so the vagus nerve is, is both ancient and modern, but, but the modern bit is still ancient. Um, so basically it's two different parts of the vagus nerve have two different um, evolutionary origins. So the, the first one is like, it's a lizard mm -hmm. defense mechanism that, that mm. at least the polyvagal theory draws out that aspect of it, that the, um, it's called the dorsal vagus. Mm -hmm. And that will, uh, that's linked to life threat. And so lizards will just basically act as if they're dead and they're not pretending. Their body is actually shut down. So obviously that's what we experience when we faint or we're, we're so frightened that we defecate or, or um, it's also limit, it, linked to, you know, people vomiting and, 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 and so mm. on. Well, I also but, remember that with shock, how my, my heart rate goes really low. And it's yeah, so that's, that's what it does is it, so it, it's the three things are, are shut down, fight or flight, social engagement. Yeah. Shut down and social engagement are both vagal and, yeah. and fight or flight is, is, is not. But, but they all are basically ways that we handle um, threat and danger. Yeah. Yeah. So social engagement means that we can, we can reassure one another and then yeah. act in, in, um, in a more measured way or, or that we can actually protect ourselves from danger because we've created a safe space. But anyway, all three relate to the heart because um, fight or flight obviously gets your heart beating fast. Mm -hmm. the, uh, the shutdown one will slow your heart right down. So that, that means like a bear hibernating, that's using this ancient Vegas thing as well, minimum, minimum resources. This stuff about yogis being able to slow their heartbeat. They're, they're, they're um, obviously learning to deliberately slow their heart right, right down. Mm -hmm. But what the, um, the modern Vegas, that, which is called the ventral Vegas does, the social engagement thing, mm -hmm. is it inhibits the uh, fight or flight thing. So you've got fight or flight coming in with adrenaline and, and, and going boop, 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 on your heart. Whereas this thing called the vagal break kicks in that says, uh, uh, no, it's cool. It's okay. And it's amazing. You can switch it on. Uh, I've shown this to my daughter. She stuck her head on my chest because something had happened and, and, and uh, she, she had her head on my chest and said, dad, your heart's beating really fast. 
I, I can't remember whether it was something exciting, frightening, angering. I, can't, I have no idea. Yeah. She just said, Dad, you beat heart's beat. I said, great, keep your head there. And this is a polyvagal trick. And I breathed out slowly. Uh-huh. So if your breath is slower than your, your out breath is slower than your in breath, you're basically telling your lungs and the rest of your body, we are no longer being chased by a tiger. I now have the, the space to breathe out slowly. So you can trick your body, even if you are still being chased by a tiger, yeah. by breathing out slowly, yeah. and, you, and then you, and then the vagal brake kicks in and, and, and slows yeah. your heartbeat down. And it, and it happened. So she said, that, "That's amazing. It slowed right down immediately." Wow. Yeah, I think that's what's amazing about um, having a human body as well. There's all these automatic responses, but we have a there's choices in there as well. And I just took a when you said that, I just saw. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. Then, and it was like, and then I could feel, I could feel my hands more and everything move to my extremities more and vital, wow. everything will go to the organs. So it's that, okay, it's kind of moving an energy and that is that kind of moving forward. What I was remembering about um, polyvagal was the, the term I was given was tend and befriend, where you, you yeah, you go, you go towards someone, that, that sort of natural instinctual response of, I need to tell someone, I need to be held, I need to, uh, I just need to be with someone right now. And well, that ties in with the co-regulation thing, which is um, basically um, polyvagal theory says that, that we uh, have this very sophisticated way of um, modifying our internal state by the way that we relate to another. And it is basically through cues of safety. So if we feel safe, we know that that's up for grabs. You know, there's this delicious meal to be had of someone reassuring us, comforting us, or we are the delicious meal going to reassure and comfort and, and, and so on. But it can only happen when we feel safe. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, yeah, it's an interesting one. I think that's for me where, that's where nature comes in as well. Cause that's, like I said, that's always been my safe place. And then, people have been more difficult <laughs> for me and yeah. in a different kind of relationship to build. And then, you know, of course, inevitably they're all, they're all connected and it's all, it's all related. Um, all kinds of relating are related. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you can't separate it all. Uh, but we've tried quite hard to do that. I love what you said in the first instance that you're, um, was, it, was this a therapist or a mentor or this, this lady? Well, no, I did, um, I, I did a four-year training with a woman called Linda Hartley. Um, and she's based in the South in Norfolk, actually. And she, her most of the training was from Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, who's based in the States. And she's been teaching this work for 50 years. So, um, yeah, I did a, I trained with her and I still do retreats with her sometimes as well. So you were, you were, you were training in order to become a, a, a therapist or a, a therapist educator. Yeah. So it could go, go either way. Um, but yeah, I was qualified to do that and then work with, um, work with people's bodies. Um, uh, mm. but like, just like you just name, it's all related. So it's, you know, it's body, mind, spirit. Um, but I suppose particularly in our culture, paying attention to that wisdom of the body, um, and learning to recognize the information that comes through, just like you were describing with your daughter of that, okay, feeling the heartbeat, sensing that, and then being able to, to make a shift. Um, 
in a way it was a, it was that's what it was about it was about being able to meet the body where it is recognize what's going on and then be able to offer support um where's needed to make changes that would be would would suit us better it's yeah. like fight or flight you know it has a it has a place but if we're constantly in that hyper alert that, that's not constructive so like you're saying then that's the place to be able to okay how can you connect to that vagal nerve how can you uh find a place of safety anchor yourself in your own body but also in relation in relation to another as well so it was very very juicy work mm. um, i remember the first workshop i ever did with her was i don't know less than 20 years ago maybe 17 years ago and we were given this exercise of um just touch i think it was on the it was on the arm and to just sort of sense through the layers of the body so the substance the nitty-gritty material of the body there was nothing ethereal about it it's like okay there's the skin can you kind of take your awareness below the skin into the muscle can you feel the more solidity of the bone and suddenly it was like oh my god i'm feeling the body it's not you know <laughs> i'm i'm in the body and it, it's i don't know how else to say it but no one teaches you that no one well, our education doesn't teach biology through this it teaches it through images and through flat um dead things that's really interesting yeah yeah d- 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 dissecting a dead thing or yeah 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 which has its place also but um this was a this was so different that that this living this living organism that we exist in and and then how this organism relates to whether it's to you as a human being to a plant to minerals of the earth to an animal well i'm just thinking of somebody describing two different kinds of knowledge um in a in a lecture i listened to years ago and he talked about um the difference between an entomologist who catches a butterfly and sticks it to a board with a mm-hmm. pin and the child that sees a butterfly and runs across the meadow watching this butterfly in flight and following its course and then and then and then stopping to to look at it sunning itself you know mm-hmm. um to 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 transfer that two ways of thinking of it onto our onto our body yeah the idea that you can um, stop and just feel your body in the way that you were describing and be the child chasing the butterfly through the field, only mm. the butterfly is your own mm. felt experience of your body. I'd... Yeah, 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 yeah. And it makes me also feel really sad, that whole thing of pinning a butterfly. And, and um, my, my dad was very into butterflies and he used to pin them before, you know, before he had a family. So I know that came from a laugh of that, that world, um, but it, it's also a cultural thing and it, it's also very sad that sort of objectifying something or wanting to hold on to it and keep it, um, which is, again, it's all cultural, isn't it? Rather than being able to just let it go and let something move and move through us, move towards us, move away from us. Yeah, no, it's interesting. How we hold both of those in our world because they'll, they'll always be there in some way as well of, you know, you've got different starting points with it. Well, clearly, though, we've, we've got um, a very uh, undesirable outcome at the moment, which is that the pinning the butterfly to a board approach has um, 
held sway and and is 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 now we're now seeing just the enormous consequences of that in terms of our global context and and weirdly the global context is the local context because people's bodies are not working properly local environments i mean i went yesterday with my little boy to see a pond ali texted me and said could you stay out for a bit longer i'm doing this lovely thing with ella could you boys stay out a bit longer because we've gone uh-huh. out shopping and um i said yeah we're we're in the right area we'll go to this pond where i took my other kids when they were younger to, to see newts mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's actually this is actually all quite quite uh, apt so i'll tell you the story about the pond back in the day i took uh, ezra and i believe becky becky will forgive me that i have such a bad memory as to whether she was there or not i think she may have come once or twice but this pond was right near where i was living with my little boy and these newts in in the pond some local kids had, had taken them out and and hacked them up it was it was really awful so you know i was i was so uh put out by that that we went and designed a poster mm-hmm. asking appealing for witnesses you know <laughs> do you know who who did this and we stuck it to boards and telegraph poles mm-hmm. and all over the place mm-hmm. and um some local kids came and and, and told us who it was mm-hmm. And it meant that we were able to talk to the parents, and 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 I hope some kind of, some kind of thing happened there, where where the sensibility of both the kids and the parents, like, might have had a bit more, you know, sense of value, and something yeah. might have changed as a result of us doing that. Yeah. But imagine, like, I go back there, and this is this is now at least, let me think. Um, yeah, no, no, it, honestly, it is. It's about twenty years later. The whole pond is completely fenced off. You can't get to it. Mm. And it's it's got some kind of murky stuff on the surface that is polluted with something it looks like, and and there's no longer any access to it. So um, yeah, I can't remember why I started telling that story, but um, well, it's about going down to the yeah something about going down to the pond with your with your son, and you started with the whole thing about pinning the butterfly. Yeah, oh, yeah, no, no. It was just an example. It, it was yes. an example of local environmental degradation. That's what. It, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. polluted, and you'd think like just twenty years ago, like local kids getting down there. Quite honestly, that's a better scenario that there are at least at least kids getting down there in the pond, doing this awful thing that they then had to yeah sort out. At least that was a lesson learned. Yes. But now the pond is yes. not fit. There's no newts in it. Is the point? No yeah. newts, and. Um, Anyway, so the, the global situation of, of uh, that mindset and approach to knowledge, because you, you know, you, you're doing the, the, the very fair-minded, balanced thing of saying, well, these are both approaches to the world. But um, I guess I'm, I'm, um, I'm saying that's true, but yeah, as we all know. You've got a preference, is. yeah. I mean, I also have a, I have a preference. I just think, well, this is, what, this is how it is. We've got both to work with, and, and I think... It's like, well, why? And you have to then ask the question, so why does someone not value that? Or how come you come in and you explore in that way through cutting something up? And it's not that hard to sort of trace that back where that, you know, comes from. We are just talking about dissecting <laughs> dead things. Yeah. Um, but I think being able to use that as a, as a starting point, because I think being able to, when you get into polarities, it's really, it becomes really tricky. So trying to find that common ground of where you build from something or finding different ways 
to relate to a world. We only come in with what we come in with. And I was thinking about the other day to do with foraging. It's like lots of people for foraging. It's, about, it's really exciting. It's about free food. And how do you take that excitement and then be able to just maybe just drop down a little bit into actually it, it's, um, I don't know what the steps are, but it's uh, finding maybe using it as a, a way to relate to our environment and see how we're completely reliant on this environment. But it's, it's usually a gentle, slow journey. Sometimes somebody drops really in there, but mostly it's, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, I killed that newt and now there's nothing to watch and play or it won't, <laughs> won't do this in the pond, which helps yeah. live that. And, yeah. Um, but I agree with you. I think it's, I prefer kids to be exploring that way rather than be held back and not, not have the opportunity to learn. It feels dead. Otherwise, well, it, is, it is dead. That blinking fence, yes. and then the pond is dead, and and, uh, and it just—it was just such a downer. Like I went yeah, back yeah. to the car with 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 Kit, and just in a sort of mild state of shock, really. Like that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it was. I yeah, thought yeah, that yeah. was bad. I thought kids going in there and hacking up newts was bad, but a fence and no newts in the pond, and kids not even. I mean, all right, it's lockdown, so it's not that surprising there weren't kids out and about. But, but generally, kids aren't out and about. That's what I. That's what I noticed. Yeah. You know. My, my, yeah, my, yeah, my yeah. kids are the only ones that, that, that go off to the woods on their own, you know, in our area. And we're right in the middle of, middle of the country. But I think to, 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 to go back to these two different approaches to the world, mm. unfortunately, it's a matter of what you're inducted into, isn't it? It's a matter of what you're initiated into. Um, and um, I mean, I feel very, very lucky that, that two, and it was, it was, men in my life right so my grandfather and my father mm. both communicated to me a sense of wonder and and a joy of exploring the natural world you know mm. and and you know my grandfather was quite a dour and serious kind of guy on the whole but he took me out and showed me mushrooms and um and i remember i remember him poking a, a judice fungus and and just you could i could feel his feelings around it you know that, that he, yeah yeah yeah. i can feel the textures you say it yeah <laughs> this is an odd funny sort of thing isn't it and and it, and it does feel a bit like your ear and you know there was there was a connection around that for, for someone who wasn't particularly good at connecting with people or or anything else really he was quite a shut down sort of a man and my dad's sense of wonder just because he worked a night shift at birmingham university and and he um would just tell us about the fox cubs that he'd seen crossing the road or the hedgehog or what, you know, he'd come back with it. And, and you just caught that. You caught his childlike sense of wonder that he had about it. You know, we were tiny and he was like in his thirties, I guess. But you know, if, if people aren't exposed to, and, and you know, in, in many other ways, I would say the culture of my family was, was probably a lot more on the nail it down kind of, Side, you know, in yeah. terms of approach to life, language, how to converse yeah. and so on. But at least I had that little glimmer in terms of seeing two very important figures in my life. Obviously, um, yeah, with that sense of wonder. Yeah. And who are willing to kind of give you the time and, and bring you into their world. And, and it reminds me as well how important um, it's, it's never about lecturing, is it? It's about inspiring. It's about just kind of like enjoying life and letting that kind of exude and I think that that can be the best the best teacher I think. Yeah. 
I also think I can't remember the name of the author, um, The Last Child in the Woods, American. I haven't, I haven't read it. I'm aware of that book, but I haven't um, read it yet. It's quite, um, it's quite old now, but it's got good, yeah, it's relevant stuff. And he's talking about the stuff that we're talking about. And, and also he makes a reference to taking kids from the city into nature and they're going like, well, what's here? You know, it's really boring. And, and how that young, at a young age, it's so much more helpful to be able to develop a relationship with the natural world there. It's, it's harder to, uh, it becomes harder later on because you haven't got that grounding in that environment. And then, and then how do you work with that? <laughs> it's like, well, yeah, it's, you go in somewhere and you, it's boring. And we might know that you go, in, you go into nature, there is just so much going on. There's no such thing as stillness. You know, there's, there's a lot there and it's, it's really good for calming. It's, you know, it's got loads of different benefits. But yeah, we've all got different starting points. I must admit that, that my experience of the outdoors now is probably too much based around um, foraging. Whereas, um, although foraging was my first point of contact with my grandfather taking me out and so on, in a way, to, that got me out on my own. It was only after that that I took myself out mm, yeah, looking yeah. for mushrooms, basically. I never did that before. And, and but I quickly got interested in more in bird watching than, than, mm. than foraging at that time. So what I was going to say about that is that the, 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 the number one trick, if it's a trick that people should know about if they want to watch birds, is you've got to go somewhere and sit still and be quiet. Yeah. I actually kind of wish I was doing more bird watching and a little bit less foraging now because foraging is obviously about moving around and, and then when you're there, you start picking. And the, the birds do kind of move in. When, you, when you're just picking because you're not crashing and moving around so much and you do see things. But um, I think there is, there is um, and, and weirdly, um, as a chat with uh, Wukash last week brought this point out, that, that, that lazy people in the tribe would make very good hunters because they would sit still for hours um, <laughs> and not be bothered about that. But, but weirdly, hunting is another thing which would enable you to, more than foraging in a way, to, to actually encounter the, the, uh, the other animals because you'd sit still. Yeah. yeah. I've got two thoughts there. One is, uh, um, uh, great. I think laziness really has its place. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> laziness is really underrated. <laughs> um, and it's really important that being able to just sort of stop and be still. Yeah. And then it just makes me think about more about the body as a sensing organ as well of being able to, and that that's, what I find helpful about going outside that, I mean, we're talking to each other through a, a screen. Um, at the moment, I spend a fair amount of time in front of a screen and I, I feel like I could become more of a two-dimensional person with that. It's easy for me to sort of start cutting off. Um, but when I'm outdoors, it kind of, it just sort of wakens up or sometimes slower than other times my senses. So, mm. I mean, you've got the skin's the biggest sense organ, but you've got, hearing and and sight and and touch and taste but I think that one about sensing through through the body as a whole interests me most with what you're saying with hunting and well it's again it's not separate is it because you're you're listening but listening means something so much more you're you're listening to the for the for the sounds and the and the changes but you're also listening (coughs) change in atmosphere or, or something that it's 
hard to find the words for, but you know something's shifted in some way or somebody's near or something is near or I don't know if you get that with plants. Someone asked me about that with plants Do I yesterday. Do I know when I'm coming near to a plant? The weird thing with that for me would be the, the example I would know about is, is um, just when you're out in the woods looking for mushrooms. Mm. But it's a, very much a sort of a movement thing. You're feeling this flow of movement. So you're walking in a certain direction. You, you feel this just little nudge to go that way and that way. And, yeah, 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 yeah. and then you find the mushroom. But I don't stand still and get that. It's to do with the movement. Yeah. So movement is our, our, um, in our embryological journey, the first nerves to myelinate are those that register movement because that was seen as the most important for survival. So again, you're in, I don't know whether I'd call it survival, but we're in more in an instinctual place. You're out in the woods, you're going to look at mushrooms and yeah. It's the movement that's giving you information. <laughs> or yeah. uh, I don't know whether that's the right thing to say, but it's a really important sense. I mean, it's quite funny. Between, but with, with, with myself and Ali, it, it's, a, it's a similar kind of situation. So it, it's not saying that one is better than another. Mm. But we will sometimes just sit and be quiet. And that's, that's Ali's preferred way of getting this kind of intuition so we're, we're sort of trying to feel things out, as it were, intuitively. What, what's, what's, the, what's the salient thing that we should be directing our attention to? Or to just trying to feel something out. What's the right way to go or, or something like that. Uh, and Ali will do it, as I say, in, in silence, which, you know, she, that means that I do more silence than I would do. But I often get that sense through talking. You know, I'll, I'll have the sense coming through the meaning of the, of the words, but it's, it's the similar thing, if you see what I mean. I could stop and feel out where do I think the mushrooms are, and that would be equally valid. But it's a different kind of um, way of tapping into intuition, I guess. And isn't that great? There's all these different ways. You know, mm. it's like sitting meditation. For some people, that really works. Some people just can't sit. <laughs> It's like, well, that's fine. Go for a run and then your, your mind will clear and you'll get a sense of something or, no, it's. Well, probably it's, it's, it's linked. Cause I don't know if you know much about uh, Pat Ogden's work. I mean, I don't either. If you don't I know the name, she does this sensory motor um, therapy, which I, and again, I'm very sketchy with my knowledge on either of these things, but you've got Peter Levine's thing is somatic therapy. It's much more about, I think is much more about what you're talking about to sit still and feel where's my body at from a point of stillness. Well, he very much works with movement as well. But... He does also work with movement. Okay. Yeah, yeah totally. Totally. Yeah. Okay. It, it's just that there are, there are obviously two different sides to this, this felt sense of the body. One is, one is when you're still and one, one is when, when you're moving and perhaps for some people it's easy to connect easier to connect i mean they say, they say it's like people, people some people are just frightened by the the felt sense of being still uh, maybe because of their background and experience and, and so for them you know to, to start feeling how your body feels when you're moving is probably less less challenging or less yeah and there'll be reasons for all of it it's like the body ne needs to move you don't want to get still like you're getting stuck or frozen with it and no but again it's like that whole thing of it's all related. If you're still, there's so much movement going on. Right. 
Yeah. So it's all it's all the same in a way. But um, um, I don't know. Some of us are more kind of naturally come from sympathetic nervous system, need to be active action, and other people are more parasympathetic and more kind of rest and digest. And and it's almost like that's uh, we've been talking about starting points. That could be our starting point or our sort of default place, more of our nature. Yeah from the world and and I think those things are really useful to know about yourself as well aren't they if if you're which kind of person you are what, yeah. what and and where it might go screwy as well and for me I, I know both have their place you know there's times where I don't stop and it would be really useful to stop and be still is that what you mean by yeah. things going screwy where it's that's not appropriate it's like yeah I think uh, where strength can become a weakness or yeah into overdrive or yeah i think that's what i mean i mean the, one of the one of the really nice things i'm i'm getting into more of the sort of nuances of um the polyvagal thing now with with um you know moving beyond okay so you've got this dorsal vagal thing which is shut down and that's terrible because you know ultimately could stop your heart and it's about a response to a life-threatening situation and that's so on and then and then fight or flight is is a response to a pretty dodgy situation but it's not life-threatening so you're either going to fight back or you're going to run away but when you when you start realizing the, the the subtle nuances these lovely things come in so playfulness is a a a, a collaboration between fight or flight because you're mobilized mm -hmm. when you're playful and um and social engagement and and an actual sort of boisterous play you you really use the cues of safety because you might bash into somebody or accidentally cause some kind of hurt or discomfort or you know ruffle their clothes or something and, and you quickly make eye contact you're all right you know so you're using the the social engagement cues of smiling and, and tone of voice and eye contact to say this is this is really play it's not actual um fight behavior whereas it could quickly deteriorate rapidly if you didn't repair by turning around and going oh are you all right then all of a sudden kids go from playing together to <laughs> hunting each other <laughs> yeah 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 oh that's it's really nice to hear it phrased that way yeah yeah lovely yeah. i don't think i've got anything to add to that i just love i just love that before i started teaching foraging i worked a lot with children and um, in inner city areas, so city farms, adventure playgrounds, that kind of thing, and be able to create safe but dangerous environments where kids right. explore and learn. And um, I think it must have been during that period I went to a conference as well about, I can't remember what it was called, but they were showing playgrounds across the world. And uh, there was this brilliant image of this newly built playground and the kids were outside the fence playing in a puddle with pieces of wood and it's like yes wow that's that's more where the engagement is they know what turns them on they know what um what is stimulating for them and it's not something that's set that's just too prescriptive and and safe and it's also about that was it it's about learning about risk and the importance of that. And, and that's about 
that's about being human that's about being in the body more rather than being told no don't do that don't do that stop 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 it's like then you don't get to be in this properly and this is important (laughs) this is what it's about this is what it's meant to be about yeah yeah i mean i'm just thinking about something risky i did the other week which which i definitely was a crazy thing to do but um i guess it's just because of where we were it's the second time i told this story on the podcast (laughs) so i let my kids run around in the mud at a salt marsh Uh with bare feet you know and it was it was far enough away you'd probably not expect to find bits of metal and glass in the mud but i definitely i think well anyway that was a risk and unfortunately we encountered the 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 actual danger because kit's foot was really quite badly cut Mm. and i've got to get from you know, muddy bit right the way back to the car and then in the car right the way back home. Well, you know, all in all, it was, it was pretty cool because we found plantain and got it straight on the wound. Mm. That wound is now healed up beautifully. We, um, you know, we didn't put any pharmaceutical creams or anything like that on it. Didn't even fuss too much about washing it because I knew the sterility of the, of the, the sterilizing effect of the plantain would would heal it and we just kept replacing that um several days so you know but it was really interesting what had to happen there i guess that's the nuance of it i wouldn't have brought out when i told this to uh, to fred gillam the other week because we we're talking about the healing properties of plantain whereas the main point in this one is um good old uh, peter levine tells this story about himself being hit by a car and because he's his whole thing is is about post-traumatic stress so he's taking people who've suffered post-traumatic stress and trying to lead them on this path to get the stress out of their body and, and, and free of the symptoms of this post-traumatic stress. But one of the things he's got locked down is, is um, because he is exploring this from a pin the butterfly to a board thing as well. Scientifically, he's trying to see what is going, what is actually going on in the body when trauma happens and why are we in our modern society not, finding that we can just move on like a, a, an antelope being chased by a, 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 a cheetah and then getting away. will not wake up the following morning going, Oh no, Oh no. And, and, and think it's being chased by a cheetah again, because it actually dealt with it. But straight afterwards, it, it was grazing with other antelopes with the herd. It's being comforted by the act of grazing. It's being hum- comforted by the proximity of the other uh, antelopes. And just after the, t- the cheetah gave up and turned back, it shook, his body shook and got the, got the trauma uh, out, of, out of its body. Well, Peter got hit by a car and went through this whole thing of, of um, you know, a worried person in his face. He told them to leave, go away, please get out of my face because he knew that person was going to lock the trauma in his body with their fear. And then a, a nice lady came along who was a doctor but talked to him very, very calmly and sweetly and knew what to do. Anyway, the main point is that, that, that he got his heart rate to, that his heart rate slowed down. That was his key point. Mm. And he asked the lady in the ambulance to, 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 to give him the reading. And, and she also gave him the reading that the people at the scene of the accident had given. Your heart rate was this, it slowed down to this, and now it's this. And he said, excellent. That means I will not get post-traumatic stress. So he'd really pinned it down. He knew the figures, yeah? Because his heart rate had slowed down within a certain time period, he knew that his body had done the recovery and he was also shaking. And, 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 and the lady in the ambulance said that, unfortunately, back then, I don't know if they still do it, people, people who are in shock get strapped down to stop their body shaking. 
Whereas it's trying to trying to get the thing out. Anyway, the point is, I mean, I was I was going back to the car with some staff, and my kids were in the mud. It was probably even more irresponsible. And I left them to do that. Bad parent. But anyway, so they're screaming, Dad, 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 Dad. And I, I came rushing back, and kids cut his foot, blood everywhere. So I knew my job is to just soothe and calm. As, you know, so I'm carrying, I'm going, it's all right, and just tone of voice. Got him, I'm stroking his head, and we've got quite a good track record with that. You know, Kit will come to me and let me soothe him when he's hurt himself. So we, we, we plenty of dress rehearsals for this. Uh, and then and they go, okay, I'm going to put you down on the grass. We're going to get some, uh, you know, I tied a sock around his foot as quickly as I could to, to, to put pressure and stop the bleeding. But anyway, all things told, I'm pretty sure we got his heart rate down so that he would, wouldn't experience that. So I guess uh, the other thing, that, that why I started telling that story is that, that you were talking about risk and danger. And sometimes the actual thing that you're risking and then endangering happens in retrospect, think I should not allow them to run around barefoot in that mud. But nevertheless, because we sort of got away with it, as in, his, well, we did, his foot is now healed and so on. So they've had a dress rehearsal for how to, both my kids, because my daughter was there and she was being very helpful and supportive and sat in the back for them and all this. So they've had a dress rehearsal for how to deal with, you know, uh, an accident where somebody gets reasonably seriously hurt. And I think when it comes to it, you realise actually what's needed is really basic. Right. She really simple, isn't it? But it's those simple, simple things that we've complicated things so much. With the simple things we've forgotten, and it's it's that being given, being able to give another kind of the right attention, the right support, and then and then the healing can happen, and and that of course will will support the physical healing as well. I can relate to all of that. I mean, I got into the somatic world. Um, that worked because I fell out of a tree. <laughs> <laughs> what, you fell out of a tree into the somatic world? That's amazing. Well, there was a, little few years, there was a few years in between. I, um, I broke quite a few bones, but I remember wow. being at the bottom of this tree and my friends coming around and all I could see was uh, really scared faces. Right, oh dear. I'd started to kind of let the, the trauma kind of come through my body. And then I saw all of that and I just went into um, oh, man. else. Yeah. And then it took, and because of that, I, uh, it actually took me, bones healed really well, no problem there. But I didn't have the same energy afterwards and it created lots of complications for me. And it was through that that I came to somatics and then was, learning how to re-engage with my body in a in a in all the ways that we're talking about in a helpful support trust what the body needs to do so i was doing uh without trying to analyze it too much but it was maybe doing what looks better as well it's like shaking and being able to let go into just allowing the body to do what it needs to do it doesn't always look pretty you know it doesn't always make it doesn't make sense to our, our peers or those who are around us necessarily. And I, I just couldn't cope with everyone else's fear. So I wanted to sort of get all of that fear away. You were saying like with Peter, with Peter Levine, sending someone away. But, so it's just interesting how we all come find these places. And um, I think some people are really good at listening to the body. For me, it's definitely been, 
you know, something that I've come to later in life. Maybe all that information is there. I know what it, I know how it feels when something feels right. Um, but I've got so much layered over that through, you know, what I'm told is right or what I should do. Or I think about it with shaking jaw. I get a shaking jaw quite regularly when I'm nervous. And it's like, <laughs> it's a bit embarrassing, but I know that it, it's just what I need to do. And then I can just sort of settle yeah. and just let that move through. And then I'll you know, be able to move on a bit easier. <laughs> I do wonder how we got from being that herd of antelope, you know, that were very, um, un, you know, there's no fuss or anything like that. The, 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 you know, the frightened antelope just comes and rejoins the herd, but they're all present and that's just the right amount of, um, you know, proximity of other people oh. with the right kind of attitude. How did we get from the point, because humans were just as biological as you said, you know, about the body being nature too, you know, how do we get to be so unnatural, you know, that we, that, that we, because we, we must all know that here's this hurt and obviously frightened person. But you're saying you weren't probably that frightened until they, 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 their fear is what made well, you. Well, no, I, I was. And I can remember, as just remembering there was one big, I think there was a big uh, sound that came out, you know, one of those primal that I didn't make that sound, just the body and a kind of initial and then everyone came and I, cl I clamped down. So it's all there, you know, the body's ready to do its thing and, and let everything just unravel. And that's the, that's the problem with having a mind, <laughs> I think, or, or putting so much emphasis on this is really important, what my decisions that I make here are really important and they're more important than the decisions that come from here. And that's another, to use that phrase again, place where it goes screwy but it's a fragmented intelligence that isn't it because because the, the you know the, the 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 intellect is is you know is is high level functioning and you know i'm just trying to not give give the intellect a a bad press in in and of itself it's a fragmented intellect that we've got that is causing the problem here because there's all this other wisdom all of this other profound wisdom of, 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 of what your body can tell you. And even more crucially than that, it seems as if what your body can tell you is like an antenna that is picking up on what the rest of your immediate surroundings or further beyond the, you know, the cosmos is able to, to tell you just because somehow there are ways which we can't necessarily explain or, or, or track at the moment but they're not spooky, you know, um, things which, which, which aren't within the power of, of you know, a, a physical explanation to, to, mm -hmm. to, to the fact that whether we have it or not, whether we need it or not, it's not the point. But what I'm saying is, you know, we, we're now knowing that our gut flora, through the interaction of the chemistry that, of, of their functioning and, and, and the, the way that that interacts with the chemistry of our you know, our neuropeptides and, and, and all this kind of signaling going on, somehow or another, our gut flora are, in, are involved in the, in, the, um, in the felt sense that we have that's intuitive, that tells us things which look like this is clairvoyancy or psychic or telepathy or something like that. But actually, it, it looks as if our, our absolutely physical gut flora is biology. Yeah. Mm. So the, the, yeah. 
I'm just trying to, to, to the, the thing that our body is an antenna, basically. So our intellect is, 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 is actually badly malfunctioning when it's going to, no, I've got this. Okay. <laughs> a plus B equals plus. Therefore, no, that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a crippled, that's a, that's a intellect hobbling along on one leg. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and it need, and it comes back to connection, doesn't it? You, you used the word fragmented, and it's there needs to be communication. And I, was, um, I uh, there was a somatic movement conference or summit last week, and one of the speakers was talking about five or six wisdom centres, and then it goes to the wisdom centre of the brain. Right. Um, so it's talking about oh, I don't know what she, talking about gravity. So that sense to ground gut so that you know we even use it in our language that um i've got a gut feeling on this oh god i'm only gonna get to three centers aren't i <laughs> let's just go with that so minor. minor gravity gut heart and then and then you go to head um and that that's the that's the intelligent order it's like this is amazing at kind of being able to decide what to do based on you know on other information but if we if it's not connected it goes screwy yeah <laughs> not so splendid isolation your brain's just up here just yeah yeah slugging it out on its own yeah well, there we go and now we're on the topic of isolation which has a relevance to now as well and i think that's why moving you know helps as well isn't it it kind of brings us back down rather than stillness and i know for me that's one of if i'm I can get stuck with stillness because it, you know, keeps me a bit there. But if I'm moving, it reminds me that I've got a body as well, which is, sounds like a very basic thing to say, but these things are basic and we've, we've lost some of our, you know, fundamentals of what it means to be human, I think. And we're reframing what it means, what human being looks like, but we've, um, we've missed a few things that are really, well, we know that are really rich. If, you know, life experience, real richness and... E.g. being an animal. E.g. being an animal, yeah. <laughs> and all the instincts that come with that and all the vitality and way of perceiving, perceiving the world. And I was thinking about you talking about walking through the forest and having a kind of inclination to go, oh, and there they are, there are the mushrooms. And then automatically you'll be reading, you know, uh, you'll be picking up on the moisture in the air, the kind of quality yeah. of what's the debris that's under your feet. All sorts of other kind of information is is coming through as well. And so whether you call that again, whether you call that intuition, instinct, or biology, or it doesn't matter. It's all the same. You know, it's a combination of all that stuff. Well, I think it's interesting, and and um, in case you haven't noticed that, like in spite of my critique, I do like to pin things down. Yeah, so like. If you haven't noticed, so I'd go straight back to that and go, well, let's think about what instinct is and, and, um, and intuition is. Cause I, I just, I do find it really interesting you know, mm -hmm. in a way it's making the unconscious conscious or the, or the, you know, to, that's, that's what scientists are doing this. And here's all this hidden stuff. Let's work out what's going on down there. But the question is, you know, ultimately is our objective, is our objective to, to, to pin that down for the sake of, some kind of sphere of control, you know, or, or is, or is, 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 can we use this inclination to try and make things explicit? 
Mm. Just as a way to, to inst- that the objective isn't to then seize hold of it. Mm. So it can't move because now we've got your number. Now we, we can put you in this box over here. There's another way that we could do science is, is kind of what I'm trying to say, where we use that faculty and that inclination to, to, to make things um, known in that way to facilitate the dance, basically. So now we know what this kind of movement is, we can go and join in sort of thing. Well, I think that's the best relationship with science. I think, you know, science is, is a useful tool for us now because people kind of trust it. Um, but it, but holding that knowledge intellectually still doesn't get us where we need to go, is it? We need to, we need to embody it. And, and that's, I think that's the, the potential of, it kind of you go all right so science says that so it's safe for me to do that it's safe for me to go into the body a bit more or whatever it is well it's providing a doorway for the people who yeah, are yeah. ultra ultra in their head well when they read this book on the the mind gut connection um mm. which is out there i forget who it's by but um that is saying you have permission mr you know atheist materialist scientific rationalist what whatever can that particular person that's finding it hard to not be in their head belongs to, they've now got permission. It's actually rational to follow your gut instinct. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Rational to follow your gut, um, gut instinct. I mean, my training was a mixture of kind of science and intuition. Right. And I, li- I liked that, that balance of it. But it was kind of in equal measures. It was, you know, there was a course which was about the training was uh, about experiential, so it's like really trusting the information that comes through, mm. through and being able to ground, grind, ground, <laughs> not grind, ground that in science. So knowing mm. that, you know, back it up in that way. And, and that's, yeah, that's the world we live in, isn't it? In terms of being able to communicate these things and find a way to relate them. I'm going to go with your, um, your slip of the tongue there. <laughs> because, because no, because I've done some thinking about a, um, a process of grinding spices. Actually, I have this really uh, um, amazing device somebody gave me. It, it, it's just it's just really heavy, and it's got these um, cast iron teeth on the on the uh, the sort of pe- it's like a pestle and mortar with teeth. Yeah. So uh, the, the 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 pestle bit has has got kind of metal teeth, and the and the mortar bit has got kind of grooves and really does an amazing job because you don't have to, you don't have to use much effort. It just, the weight of this cast iron thing does it. Um, but the point is there is you are, you are so fragmenting things in this case releases the uh, aromatic oils. So if we could, if we could just start working with this thing, like, so we don't want to be um, stuck in a scientific reductionist thing. Here we are breaking it down to these tiny little parts. But what if we worked with that and took that as that fragmentation thing and say, well, where could that metaphor go that isn't um, destructive? You know, obviously if, 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 um, if I take you or a plant and fragment, you're dead, right? That's clear you know, a living thing, a living organism. So in that sense, we see that to, 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 to break up these bonds and connection within a living organism equals death. But we can perhaps go through that and say, well, the fragmentation uh, of, of these um, plant materials release these aromatic oils, which we know are profoundly healing. 
um, and profoundly tasty and profoundly stimulating and all the other good things that come out from aromatics. So, okay, so the fragmentation there. And, and, and of course, that's true, actually, with, 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 um, with literal and metaphorical death, isn't it? You know, because we, we, we do want to just not have any pain and suffering and we don't want to be lonely and we don't want to fall out with people. And, but actually, when we go through that, you know, we get through the other side and we've worked through our conflict. It's actually a better relationship once you've done that. You know, I've been isolated for a while. I've had to face my own demons. It's better that we went through that. So, you know, sometimes the fragmentation is also, um, it's all right to, to, to have a grind instead of a, what was the other word that you actually meant to say? Ground. <laughs> ground. So grind is sometimes positive too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and no, I'm a great believer. All that stuff is a substance of life. You know, life isn't about trying to avoid pain. It's about, um, there's a phrase that I use quite a lot. It's just feel, feel everything, keep nothing. It's a good reminder for me. Just like, just keep letting it move through. Don't try and not feel something or hold to it or, yeah, grind, grinding down. Yeah. And, you know, we're all going to die. I'm going to be hummus for the ground, you know. I hope that will have some use. <laughs> And then that'll become something else, you know, a bigger picture there too. Yeah, the microorganisms will grind you and then you will be ground. (laughs) Don't just be grounded, you'll be ground. (laughs) And we'll call you Ground Rachel. (laughs) (laughs) But that whole thing with um, talking about it with wild plants as well and the context of death, there's nothing wrong with death. It's it's also part of life. And, you know, I I pick a plant, I'm going to kill that plant and... Um, and use it for something else and then it gets once a better word recycled and ground down <laughs> and used in different ways and that it continues on in life but in a different form maybe that's related to head as well how we got it t- attached to our existence how it is now funny isn't it you know you take out risk and then you get really you really hold on to safety but it's not it's a very narrow safety and it's not it's almost like safety comes through embracing risk well, it's fear-based safety, isn't it? When we make, when we make it so that we actually don't feel safe, we've created this artificial yeah. environment because we're so afraid of, of yeah. yeah, it's funny. Yes, and somehow we name that as safe. Can we reframe that then? Well, I think part of it is this thing of seeing what the polyvagal um, stuff is telling us, you know, that, that, that the safety that we are biologically hardwired to achieve is the stuff where people are really um, woven together in their, in their relationship. They, that, 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 so the, the point is it's an essentially mammalian quality and, a, and capacity to form bonds with others of your own species. And in fact, with other mammals, you know, we clearly do bond with other mammals. Try bonding with a lizard. It's probably not going to happen, but, but you can bond with your, your, um, your dog or your hamster or your whatever. Um, so that safety is in the presence of our inherent dangers, the embedded dangers of our environment. You know, I mean, obviously we've, we've evolved around, uh, up until very recently, most parts of the world, if you were a human, you were, you were definitely not top of the food chain. You know, it was the big cats that were top of the food chain. And you, 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 it's quite likely you would, the last thing you'd ever see would be the eyes of a jaguar or something like that. Mm. And, and we lived with that risk and danger and yet managed to feel um, just, you, you know, I've listened to something recently that, that, that suggested that people huddled in caves, frightened of being eaten by a cat. And that's what they did most evenings. You know, I just 
can't accept that, you know, that, that, you know, any more than that antelope out on the, the deer out on the prairie and, and whatever, that they're not constantly thinking, oh no, I'm going to get eaten by a human or, 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 or whatever, you know. If you see what I mean, I think that the, 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 the point is we, we can feel safe, even though, look, to be honest, we're being prowled by an enemy, which is going to definitely get us sooner or later. And you've just been naming it death. So why aren't we freaking out? Why aren't we going, oh, no, I'm going to die? Because it's true, you are. Somehow or another, we manage to feel safe in the presence of that enemy, that, that, that we accept it. You know, we accept that's, 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 a, that's a, a, what's the word, um, an occupational risk to being an organism. Yeah, yeah, right. And it's a risk that is going to eventually yield its full capacity, you know. Um, and yet we manage to feel all right. So something like that. You know, we, yeah, we, need yeah. to, we need to tap into that mammalian capacity to feel reassured by the presence of others. Yeah. 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 And I think that requires vulnerability. I think in this, um, this current situation with lockdown as well, one of the things that I really enjoyed at the beginning was the amount of care and kindness that came out. And um, I think that remains to some degree. And to another degree, I feel like people are starting to shut down more. And it, it, I feel it requires a vulnerability to still sort of reach out and go, well, in my experience, this becomes more painful the longer it goes on. Mm. So to reach out to another, I also need to be able to be willing to feel, feel that pain. Mm. Um, mm. So that, that, again, there's, so there's a risk there, but there's a risk uh, to gain something which is greater, which is that connection, which will bring a greater sense of satisfaction and sense of safety rather than retracting into the safety we're talking about. And then the other thing I would think about is, you know, all the, um, I haven't watched them for ages, but um, watching uh, fox cubs or badger cubs and all that play that happens and any animal or bird, you know, watching birds just soar in the currents and play is really important part of life. And it's, there's lots of, functions but uh, as said he is a human animal as a mammal animal that are just there for for the pure pleasure <laughs> you know of being alive and uh i don't know where i'm going with this but it's a really important aspect of of life and it was to do with you saying that you can't quite believe that um our ancestors would have been huddled in a in a cave just terrified all the time no, they'd been taking care of each other, they'd been having fun, they'd have been, you know, whatever play meant there. And I'm sure that there were also times where there would have been shaking and fear, and, but it would have been, you know, we're imagining, aren't we? So it's a bit unfair, but it would have been balanced with all this other stuff. And play is so under, underrelated, underrated, and related. <laughs> I, ju I just, I think, the, I think the key to that, to debunking that argument is, 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 is the sort of uh, antelopes run away from the predator and shook, got back from the herd and feels all right, you know. Yeah. What we're projecting onto those people huddled in that cave in our imaginary scenario is uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, to, to, to just be constantly anxious about something that may or may not happen. It might seem rational, but that's that head again, isn't it? That cut-off head. It's not biologically sustainable you you know and 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 so that's why we've been hardwired 
to survive. And, and, and in that sense of survival is um, a, a, a stronger serving, in my opinion, of, of, of thriving. You don't survive as a species unless you're thriving, you know, because that, that whole social, the, the, one of the beautiful uh, polyvagal thoughts is that the same system, neurophysiological system that kicks in when we're in social engagement mode is the same system that supports your immune system. And, 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 um, and it's also the same system that supports your uh, creativity and the sort of flow state that people talk about. So Stephen Paul just uses the phrase, he says, it's the, it's, it promotes health, growth, and restoration otherwise known as thriving, in, in, in my opinion. So the, the point is that the survival of the fittest equals survival of the thrivalists, you know, the, the most thriving. The people who are having the most wonderful time, you know, or, yes, or, the, or the mammals that are having the most wonderful time. They're hanging out, yeah, yeah, the ones that feeling are the all right. Time, yeah. Unless yeah. you feel all right, you're not going to thrive. Unless, unless you're loving it and being with your mates and whether you're a badger or a human or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So... I just think they, they just, just, I'm just trying to bring it around to go, absolutely, let's play more because, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, we, we need that. We need to feel all right. We need to feel joy. We need to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it's what it's about, you know. <laughs> Makes me think of um, a situation. So some friends of mine uh, during this lockdown went for a run along the seafront. I live just near the sea. And then they were on the, alone on the beach and they decided to do a little bit of, uh, dance, so they were dancing swing together, 100 meters from anyone, and someone shouted, Go home, you idiots! And um, uh, they popped by on the way back, and, and Hadrian was kind of like a bit like, What well, do you think we did wrong? And um, his partner is, uh, is Catalonian, and both her and I were just saying, No, it's British people, it's like we've interpreted this, we have to stay safe, as you're not allowed to have fun, you're not allowed to enjoy yourself, and it's a fundamental error. No, fundamental error. <laughs> it's it's key to our you know our sanity and coming through this in health and and that's the beauty of um we've named it as risk but it's also it's the beauty of any adversity that is is part of life you know it's always and peter levine writes about it as well of like it's an opportunity it's a growth opportunity where we can move through something and, and come back into that flow even stronger and, and into that sense of aliveness oh it's kind of got so complicated we've got all these little pitfalls that our our society justify you know that we can fall into well the i think that the the point that we're sort of revisiting from from every which way we're just walking around the same object and going oh it's amazing uh oh and it's amazing and <laughs> oh look at that isn't have you seen this bit it's really amazing so we're just looking at wildness essentially i think so here is this organism stuff, which is wild. Life yeah, yeah. is wild, you know, and it's, it's, um, it's done a really good job of making life really full of life. And, you know, when, we, when, when you talked earlier about discovering that, that being told by your, your teacher that your body is nature, you know, that's, I guess that's to me where I'm starting with, with, with an interest in, well, maybe it's not where I'm starting, but it, to me, it's a really interesting thing that we don't need to get out into some 
far distant, pristine wilderness uh, in order to discover the wonder of, of the interconnectivity and the self-supportingness of the fabric of life and, and, and all of that. You know, when we just stop and notice our, what our leg feels like today, you're tapping into this unbelievably sophisticated, thriving, living system that is totally wild. Your leg is totally wild. And um, I mean, not your leg personally, I'm sure it's a very wild leg, Rachel, but I'm <laughs> speaking yeah, no, I'm with of you, human legs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear, I've embarrassed myself. Oh, dear. Keep going, just keep going. <laughs> so I'll just savor the flavor of that embarrassment. This too is a wild neurophysiological state. <laughs> oh, and, what, and what are you sensing the body mouse? A bit hot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> yeah, totally wild. Yeah. <laughs> I think I had to bail me out here and change the subject. I can't. I'm just laughing and enjoying it all. <laughs> you're not laughing with me. You're laughing at me. That's right. Yeah. Oh, oh no. both. You <laughs> all know what this feels like. Oh, dear. Oh, well, I couldn't have said finger or nose or something. <laughs> anyway, moving swiftly along. Yeah. Yeah, the the wildness of this body that we live in and the amazingness of that. And for me, if I'm able to step outside as well, that feels like a way to, it supports the biology of my body. It, it helps. It's a kind of like um, a quicker way for me to get in sometimes to get into my body. Yeah. I'm kind of doing, and it might be anything if I'm at home and I'm working computer and I may just, as many times I don't, but I may just take a moment to kind of go, oh, I just need to adjust a little bit, uh, change my posture, whatever, or whether I'm doing a more kind of specific taking time to, to move and kind of uh, feel into my body. There's something that's, I don't know, it just kind of goes tenfold if I step outside with that. Well, I, I do a yoga routine most days, and yeah. at this time of year, I get to do it in the garden. Mm. It's totally different. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It's great indoors, but outside, it's just exponential. You're just you're feeling the honestly because I mean I always do it barefoot, and I used to take a rug outside, and I thought, what am I doing? Even if it's raining, I'm not going to do that. I'll just get changed when I come back in and take these damp clothes off. Yeah, no, yeah, so. I'm, I'm feeling the ground. I'm smelling the soil for some of the bits that are laying down. I'm feeling the air on my thing. I hear the bird song. I can see the movement of the plant. Ah, oh, so many different yeah. aspects to that. Yeah. And I think the other thing with that, I don't know if you experience it, but it also, it both takes me in and it takes me out because, you know, my world is so egocentric. It's like, oh yeah, it's me. It's me in this body. And it's, if I go out, then I can, I, that loosens. Um, because I'm now something moving in something else and, yeah. and longer, um, I stand outside the, the more I can move away from my ego or my kind of holding on to who I am as well. And it's just, I'm immersed into, into my world. I'm immersed in my natural environment that I'm part of. And that's, that's not what we're taught either. 
Well, it's also what we're not enabled to do by the fact we live constantly in the built environment, mm. isn't it? Mm. It's, there's not the opportunity for that to happen. Which is really, that's a mistake. That's another little <laughs> pitfall that you Boo, 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 yeah. yeah. Another pitfall. So I think I find it useful to kind of be, well, maybe it's not useful, but because I am, you know, I'm from this time and from this culture, to, to, be, to be able to explore through the nuances of my body and then being able to be out and forget all of that and just move and be normal by just moving and being part of a natural world, you know, not having to pay attention to it, just be and just live. I, I just, I think there's a lot of scope for exploring the, 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 the notion of relationship in all of these very, um, well, what's the word? I don't know, all the physical transactions that are going on or, the, or, or processes that are going on just by us being alive and in the world, you know, that, that we're breathing, we're eating, but then we're moving through space and air is touching us. And, and, and um, that's a relationship. That's a, that's a, a reciprocal, you know, I am being shaped and I am shaping and, and, and all of the, all of the stuff that we talk about in interpersonal terms. Um, and it, it, it isn't just a metaphor, like, I mean, or we're looking at what metaphors are. I probably should do some work with a linguist or a philosopher that could help me see whether I'm saying anything. Well, I don't know. The, the, the point is for me, in, in a way, a metaphor isn't a metaphor, if you see what I mean, because the same, the same dynamic is being represented in two completely different situations. So when you say this is a metaphor for that, it, it, it's, it's kind of inadequate in a way, because it, it, just, just take the moving and being moved thing. I think any, anything that we can um, see that going, going on, you know, there's, there's two, there's this one and that one. And whether it's one is a person and the other is the entire rest of the environment, or one is a person and the other is another species, or one is a person is another person, it, it, it matters not because what you've got is the same dynamic. One thing moves and this affects the internal dynamic of the other. The other thing then moves back and this affects the internal dynamic of another and the other one moves back. It is the same thing. It is the same ebb and flow. Um, and that the important thing that's going on is the, the, the sort of the dynamic that makes that somehow is making the two a one, but it's the only kind of, it's only, it's the kind of one that happens when there are two that are doing this. So, so, uh, and I've been, so it is basically, we can, we can pull the logic out and, and put it into this very living dynamic and we can say A plus B equals C. And the C is what we want. And the C is what we want. Oh, that's juicy, isn't it? I think it's really juicy. Yeah, what yeah. What is the C? What is the C? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's that... the C is what we want. Yeah. I was thinking as you're talking about the skin and that whole thing of like, so when I, um, I'm just touching my hand, but when I touch, oh no, if I touch the sofa, um, so through touch, I'm getting experience of myself and other. And both of those, I need feedback about this and I need feedback about this. It doesn't have to be a safe, it's just whatever the world is. Yeah. I want to come back to what you said about wild. It's like we're going to call it all wildness. And it's like, uh, so part of me feels scared when you say that. And it's like, what is it about that word that's so scary of 
I think I uh, relate it to not being in control. Right. Um, or then I have to lose the safety of the A <laughs> because right. maybe I don't have enough experience of the C in my life, you know. And I, you know, we're talking about, you know, I love being outside, I love being in, you know, whether it's the world, sea, whatever, but I'm still a, you know, product of my culture and live here quite a lot. Maybe I'm answering my own question, but I just wanted to put that on the table as well because I don't think I'm the only one who feels that. It's that, oh, what are our associations? Again, we can go through language, untamed, uncontrollable, wild, you know. Well, that's it. It's just, it just suddenly made me think of a, of a, of a, elaborated meaning of, of a Hebrew word for joy. Okay. Which means to spin around as if under the control of a wild emotion. <laughs> well, let's just stay with that for a moment because that's a little, that's a secret, isn't it? Of being able to, cause I'm, it's almost like I'm relating to I'm here and wildness is out there, but what we're looking for is doorways to drop in and then you're part of it and you're in it. And, and that's where the magic and the joy is rather than, Oh yeah, wildness is there and I'm this, uh, tame indoor animal. Well, yeah, but there is there is the there is the threat of the. I mean, the, the the spin around as if under control of a wild emotion thing goes back to your playful thing. You know, the playful being a being a root in. You know, that's how we get into yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. into this this wildness that is freedom and and also really really lovely um, being. You know, way to be together. You know, to to play, but. Mm. But, but 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 the other side of wildness is there is a, there is an unknown thing and it, you know like that I realised this morning that that um, you know we've we've had a bit of a stormy weather here I don't know what it's like where you are but but and I heard noises that 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 sounded like um, that sounded like shouting you know and and I have to say you know there's a bit raw to say this but you know my childhood was spent around my parents really fighting a lot, not physically, but like a lot of shouting. Mm -hmm. And I realized that's, I thought I heard either my mum or dad shout from, from being a small child. And, mm -hmm. I, and I was right back there sitting upstairs thinking, oh shit, they're going at it again. I wonder when that'll stop. You know, mm -hmm. so the, the sound of, of, of the, the wildness of the weather completely invoked, I was so surprised by it. And I realized how edgy I was and it, it, it might, it's probably not just that, but the, I just realized this stormy weather is making me feel very tense. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, who knows where, where, where you go with that. But, but I just realized like I've actually not slept that well. Mm -hmm. And there's something about the sound of this wind. It is threatening and, 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 and frightening, but, but to bring it back to the, uh, you know, the emotional thing that, that, other people's feelings um, could be uh, an example of something that I find difficult. You know, that someone really freaking out can uh, be something I find really difficult to deal with. And and I guess I guess you know to to uh, so I don't know which bits you're thinking are hard to deal with, but for me, I can think that is definitely a thing because I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's as simple as that. That's that's a lack of control. Yeah. That, that, that I don't have a viable. Yeah, it's just, and 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 as a result of that, I'm probably uh, in those situations, hyper rational, or even you know, I project anger onto that person because yeah. they're making me feel that way. Yeah, 
Yeah, it makes me think about the aspects of being of, uh, of being with the unknown. Uh, well, you're a threat. It also reminds you of a threat from the past, doesn't it? So it's like it's, it's a you know it's a justified response and a, a kind of understandable response. Um, yeah, being with the unknown involves the other aspect of that of like also. Well, for me, it brings up of like, oh shit, then I have to feel everything. I have to go back to that phrase of feel everything, keep nothing. Because if I'm going to go with that, the, the wildness of the body and just let it do what it does. Um, you know, we've already talked about this being connected to the brain, so it's not being, you know, out of control, but it's about, it's the opposite. It's about going with the flow, but trust, trusting that. And I think it, maybe part and part it brings up for me that the areas where I want to be able to then control and look like, well, I don't always want to feel that, or I don't want to feel that now. Or, um, yeah, not now I'm busy. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Even though it will take me through sort of places of, you know, of pain and that might be with a small P through to ecstasy, through to, uh, joy, through to sadness, whatever. I've just, um, you know, it's all, it's all everything, but it's, you know, I'm back to the same things. It's like my, um, uh, fear of letting go. So fear of like going with that flow will come in and, uh, and I want to stay on to the, into the ego of who I am. <laughs> so right. I, rather than to my, that wild flow, which gives us all the gifts that we want, but it's also. You know, it's like falling in love, isn't it? You can't, you can't have love without pain. You can't separate them. If you want, if you want the big stuff, you have to be willing to go through the stuff that hurts as well. You know? And that's that's life. Mm. And that's the juiciness. But we can't. We'd never do that unless we got the rewards. Maybe we're not used to having those full rewards, so we're not willing to. Um, not willing to go through the pain anymore. We've we've got out of touch with those full rewards, which we're talking about: play, pleasure, joy. Yeah, that we're evolved to feel good, really satisfied when when we've we've gone through the process of engagement and and um, we get to the other side and we think, wow, life is really satisfying. Yeah. And I think we don't trust that that's, that's actually, I mean, to me, it comes back to, um, I was talking last week at the, when I did the podcast intro about why I think wildness is such a good thing, but why people might react to that word. It's the same mm-hmm. when you talk about anarchism, <clears throat> people think of um, chaos, basically, and, and, and some situation that is very, very threatening, you know, lawlessness and, and you know, the strong being able to have unfettered um, access to the weak as a, you know, in terms of praying predation and, and, and just totally being able to just disrupt and, 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 and have their own way. So in, in, in a way it's, I mean, I guess that's it, that you think that there are forces at work in the world, which if allowed free reign, you know, you open the door and stop having any kind of control, that what's on the other side of that door is, is, is threatening and, and malevolent, you know? So in order for us to embrace and, and pursue wildness as a first point of like, this is, this is it. This is what we think it's all about. You know, 
you have to settle the issue as to what's on the other side of that door. You know, like there's that 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 life is to be trusted. You know, because there's um, there is a benign intent or a benign overall overarching effect. You know, that that living things um, are full of joy. You know, and you know we can obviously draw out the examples which promote this doctrine of nature red tooth and claw you know you can you can see about prey and you can see about harsh weather conditions causing things to starve to death but most of what's happening most of the time isn't like that i i think that's that's my perspective anyway yeah and i just um thought as you spoke about um bomb craters and then all rose they will have hmm. as well and and that's how it is there's not is there's actually never an end either it's like you know, we think something's going to kill us, and it's actually it's another doorway. It's, it's a doorway, doorway, and, and something comes through. And ideally, not something we expect either. Is that yeah? Toes. Life, life isn't always predictable. If it was what we expected, then we'd be yeah, we would be in control, wouldn't we? We say, I'll do this because this will happen. Um, yeah, yeah, which yeah, yeah. I guess there's some of that, but. Well, that, I think some of that's important. You'll see that in all animals. Like that's why we create habits, isn't it? With shortcuts, we don't have to rethink something right from the beginning every time. <clears throat> Animal tracks—that's what they do. Yeah, right, predictable. So. Yeah, they they go down the same track. But just as you said that, um, this feels like a really good intuition. I've never noticed before. That um, hang on, let me just write it down and just check. I'm not. Okay. Yeah, that's right. The word habitat has the word habit in it. So there's something there, I think. Habitat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't want to go and think about that, but um, it's where uh, your habitat is where your habits are at, <laughs> isn't it? Habit, it's where you do your habits. And I think it's useful also when you break down wildness or nature or there's also all this domesticity that happens in it. You know, animals go to their homes, you know, they're still... Right. Uh, you know, so the two are... Uh, yeah, alongside wildness, I don't think is. I don't think that's about not having habits. Mm. Yeah, no, definitely not. Definitely not. Well, ultimately, I think it's about the the, the interrelatedness of things being allowed to hold sway. You know, it's it's about the A plus B equals C thing. That the, the, the is that C is is uh, is. Is, is where you actually live. You know, you live in that uh, point of meeting. You live in that place of exchange. You live in, in that shapedness. You know, you are not self-defined. You are, you are um, uh, relationally Likewise. defined. Relationally yeah. defined, yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, that's such important stuff to remember. I'm going to go away with it. C, that's where I want to live. I want to live in C. C, yeah. Yeah. And that life is relationally defined. Yeah. Well, it's good stuff, Rachel. And isn't it funny that we've hardly talked about plants? <laughs> <laughs> I talked to Fred Gillum last week and we hardly talked about mushrooms. It's just, oh, really? what's going yeah. on? <laughs> yeah, I wasn't sure whether you meant to bring it back at that point, but it, it's, it doesn't matter, does it? It's all... Well, I'm trying to have these wild conversations, if you see what I mean. You know, <laughs> they're, 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 they're not... Yeah, they're not uh, supposed to Described, be anything yeah. other than a conversation. Yeah, yeah. 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 I also think it's, with, you know, at the beginning we talked about where 
people are on their journey and how to come into nature and, and more of a, a in a more of a relational way and I think um you know we're all on our journey with that as well and for some of us maybe I don't know where I am with all of that either but so part of my journey has been through plants as a way to connect um mm. but it maybe it goes in and then it comes out again or you know it's like I love foraging that's really important to me but it's it's a tool to connect and and it's the connection that's important well when when we when we if if we accept this thing that that that, that it's not a metaphor it's it's just lots of examples of the same thing so we can describe one thing by describing the other, um, but it, the, but the dynamic is is something that we're learning to um, well enter into more, understand more, however we want to kind of um, the uh, it all folds in, everything folds in on everything else. So if I if I do this foraging thing, it's going to make me better at having conversations, or it's going to make me better at. I don't know, journeying with someone that's having a tough time or something, because it's all about noticing and responding to what is there rather than, rather than them. But at the same time in that noticing in the moment and responding to what is there, I'm also anticipating the next thing because I've journeyed with that plant before. So when I see the dead canes of Alexander's or some other thing like nettles from a distance, I think this is a place where green stuff grows in March, you know, and you think, wow, you're psychic. How did you know that? No, I'm not psychic. <laughs> I've just, I've been around this before. I've been around this and this, we're at this bit and I know this bit is going to happen next. It's, it's just obvious. But I think there's a lot of stuff like that in life where you can just see a very plainly visible sign that means that this is going to happen in a little while or that that has happened a little while ago. And it, and it seems like profound wisdom, but I think that just is, that is wisdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, plants teach the, you that. Yeah, and that's the biology, the wisdom of biology, isn't it? And 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 relating to the to the world. Um, what's his name? Tristan something. Um, the natural navigator guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Tristan Cooley. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So he talks about it in that way, doesn't he? About being able to read, yeah, read signs. Uh, he slightly destroys it for me. <laughs> Because I also like that aspect of of, um, of magic with it, of the kind of unknown. But he is also, you know, breaking it down of like, this is what's happening. And I think it's also that thing of like, when something's broken down into just function, it's like, well, where's where's my play in that? You know, where's my adventure in that? Because that's that's the, you know, substance of life as well. But, but yeah, that these things are learned and they become our habits and habits from our habitats. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think... I think he is on on that kind of wonder as well. It's, it's you know I think he is aware of these different ways of being in the world. That that you know he's obviously he's tracking the journey to 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 to, to sort of he is tracking the journey of of uh, indigenous people of our evolution in a way. Yeah, he's 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 saying, saying this is how they those people were in the world because. They didn't need a map or a compass. I love that. I mean, that's not his line. It's another guy that did very similar work to him, wrote a book called How to Find Your Way Without a Map or a Compass. But that's what I really love about it because it's saying, look, once you know how to be in the world, you don't need a map and you don't need a compass. You've, 
you, you could just orient yourself through and that's 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 another way of being it's it's yeah. it's it's definitely a not um well you know a map is an ultimate pinning down of of, of a landscape and i really like maps but you know this train of thought has has helped me kind of see that actually when people first made a map they were saying oh i don't need you anymore to to all of this other way of being a plus B equals C in a landscape where, where, where the point is to be able to move from one place to another and know where you're going and, and where you are sort of thing, being able to orient yourself. But the map suddenly said, oh, I don't need any of those interrelatednesses. And in the same way as now, you know, this, the, this smartphone and GPS thing has taken just, we don't even need a map anymore. You know, we, we've yeah, got right. absolutely no idea where we are. No, yeah, 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 you know, yeah, we yeah, can't yeah. even find ourselves on this piece of paper with a, with a diagram on it. Yeah, we have yeah. got no clue where we are. We're just yeah, totally yeah. dependent on this electronic thing. So we're, we're getting worse. We're getting less, we're yeah. le getting less um, of this integration. Uh, so Tristan's exploring that kind of older knowledge, I think. And, and I mean, what I was going to say is I'm pretty sure that within that, there is this sort of gut sense that somehow all of these different signals, that some, some, somehow Tristan, I bet you, if you genuinely were lost somewhere, there'd be times when he said, I can't explain it, but we're going that way. Now, he would be far better able to do that than you or I. And it's because he's got all of these little, little bits of knowledge about read this sign, that sign, the other sign. But somehow he's, those things would enable him to tap into something else, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and I, I think there's a real beauty of not being able to understand everything as well and that that's a, another good place to get to yeah uh, of a knowing and not necessarily necessarily knowing why or how and uh yeah that being able to go somewhere without a map or a comfort com comfort <laughs> without a map or a comfort oh, yes. i don't want to do that i want to take my comfort with me <laughs> but finding um finding the safety yeah. there's you, you hit a safety with that. I think rather than, you know, coming back to that thread as well. Well, you can't be lost, can you? If you if no, you... no, exactly. You were saying, that's what you were saying. If you're, never, you're never lost. So you find a, a safety by being so, so connected, actually. It doesn't mean it's not the same as not having dangers. It's funny though. It's just it's just reminding me. We we did actually do a, a, a podcast chat with with the guy we're talking about. With, with oh, did you? And it ended up being cool because he was. We discussed the issue of being lost, and he said, "There's no such thing as being lost. There's just being temporarily uncertain of your position." <laughs> that sounds like someone's not willing to say they're lost. <laughs> <laughs> I think um, there used to be this. Uh, place used to go to uh, in my youth these woods outside Bristol and there was a little hut that was built in the Second World War uh, where everyone went to the woods to live uh, during the bombing and everyone left after they uh, after the bombing apart from one man who stayed in this hut until he died and we used to just go and camp there sometimes and it, it was always that point like I now don't know where I am we must be close <laughs> And I never had a clear route to it, but it was a certain, it was a certain feeling. And it must, there must have been signs. Like my visual memory couldn't recognize them at all. But on a sensory level, it was like, yeah, we're near now. <laughs> I tried Brilliant. to do it years ago with my sister. I couldn't find it, but it had been 
possibly 20 years since I've done it. So. Yeah, that sense of that sense of being, uh, yeah, again, sort of out of your comfort zone of. Um, yeah, it's very delicious in its own way. I think you know as well as everything else we've named. But being able to journey with it and and what 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 would help us? You know, I mean, because you were you were in a very strange place when you fell out of that tree, I guess. And I wonder what what how much better we would be uh, handling this kind of strangeness if 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 we had you know warmly supported faces rather than frightened people gathering around and freaking us out with their fear when yeah. But that's also, you know, came through me of like how I interpret, interpret that as well. And, you know, you're describing Peter Levine and him having that accident and having uh, his, his car accident and being able to send someone away and be very clear in that space. You know, even that gesture, you know, that, that gesture just comes sometimes, doesn't it? And it's all about trusting the body and not caring what people think. But, yeah, listening to biology. Well... Yeah, I mean, it's knowing it's knowing what knowing what you need. Yeah, listening listening to. And sometimes, you know, there's other, you know, there's other elements that come in that we can't control, and things have to unravel later. No, and that's what happens with. Well, that's what happens with the antelope as well. The antelope freezes, plays dead, and then in its own time, when the danger's gone away, is able to shake out and then return. So you know, there's also. I think it's good to remember it doesn't all have to be in the moment. It's not lost if under that tree I, I couldn't allow that whole traumatic shaking and to to come out. Um, you know, and thank goodness there are no opportunities later. I mean, for me that means that it was a lot longer and and slower, mm. uh, which is not ideal. Um, and I think the closer to the event, probably the most helpful it is. But because I needed to find anchors, anchors that I, I, they weren't strong enough in my life. They were all in here somewhere, but I was detached from them. And yeah, so I, th- I think it's also good to remember that, you know, things can still change, you know, even long after. I think that's the hopeful message that's coming through, like with the, with the uh, polyvagal theory and the somatic therapy stuff they're all tapping into a train of thought around brain plasticity, basically, isn't it? And, and, and I mean, it's more than yeah. the brain. It's the whole, your whole body being able to um, basically get out of these habits, you know, because they are, they are habits um, of um, neurophysiological, basically being stuck in fight or flight, being stuck in various forms of shutdown, it isn't that your body is now a, a certain shape or, you know, you've got a leg with a bone that, that, that didn't heal properly and there's nothing, you know, the, it's the plasticity of, uh, it's funny the word plastic, because it's obviously mostly negative connotations these days, but it simply means this is a material that can be any shape you like, basically. So, so our, our, our nervous system, within reason can be any shape you like, you know? So if you want to have a less fearful one, you can have it. If you want to have a bolder one, you can have it. If you want to have a more free, uninhibited one, you can have it. If you want to have a more joyful one, you can have it. And it's, it's, it's like, how do we just re- release that lock that's holding us in that particular position and take the form that you'd rather have, you know? And that's, that's what all of this stuff is telling us, you know, that, that um, you think you're stuck and, 
kind of you are in the sense of, a, yeah, we can see that it's not possible for you to move right now, but, but you are not inherently stuck. You are not categorically stuck. Yeah, I think it's always useful to remember that there's choices and, and also that there's limits. You know, these habitual pathways, they can return again and again and again, and we can start to visit new you know, pathways and create new habits. But we're, we're an instinctual animal and there is this group of going, oh, no, but this is what I do. You know, so that's also a natural thing to come back to those. Um, but maybe this relates to that sense of that wildness of being able to go with, with the flow. Uh, it makes me think of um, something I wrote about ages ago about uh, both being and change. So being isn't about being still and nothing happen. When you're being when you're in the flow, when you're in the moment, it allows change to happen. It's a natural phenomena to happen. You know, and it might be that that bone is too damaged and it will always be wonky. And, um, you know, th those, are the, those are the sort of limits or, you know, that disease is the one that is going to kill you cause, and something will anyway. But yeah, like you said, there's a lot of plasticity that can happen around that. I think it's the thing of what are the conditions that allow that to happen. Oh, and nice question. I, I like the idea of flux, you know, because basically there are conditions that prevail that are going to hold something like you can't move, you know, and then, and so culturally, I think we're in a state of flux in many, many respects just now that, that I mean, you could say about the lockdown, but I've been thinking this for a while. For example, people's openness to new information about food. You know, you go back to the 70s, my goodness. You know, I mean, I guess people were open then to more, more um, what's the word, you know, processed food at that point. Mm -hmm. But people still, were, were on a whole, they're quite very conservative, you know. Up until very recently, all of a sudden, you're much more likely to be able to suggest to someone eat something new and, and they would. I mean, that's just an example that, that like the fixedness of things. And, and, and um, when those kind of laws or conditions or mindsets are, are, um, are temporarily suspended, then you've got an opportunity in which transformation can take place. So I guess that's the thing is it's, it's like the plastic being melted down, you know, but here's the plastic. It's, it's, it's this, you know, this shape, it's hard, it's, you know, that's, I can't squeeze it. And, you know, if I do that too much, it'll crack in actual fact. But in the right situation, that rigid structure will, will melt. And then it can, then there's a possibility for it to oh, be another. Yeah. And it makes me think about bones. Right. And, um, so I learned about bones in school and, you know, I felt hard, dead bones. But actually these bones are living and they're moving and they're growing and they have, uh, they might be quite hard and solid, but there's a flexibility in them. Right. Um, right. And I can't remember the life cycle of a bone, but there's the osteoblasts and class, isn't it? They're constantly being broken down and renewed. And like I said, there's a, there's a limit. You know, there might be, a loss of information in that bone which means that a certain area can't it will never heal but yeah i mean our whole body's like that it's being renewed the whole time and we 
you could say that we choose to kind of renew those same habits and patterns and we've talked about the naturalness of, of that happening but yeah there's another, maybe it was um maybe it came from an um an eastern practice but we did this thing as well of um working with bones and being able to feel uh i won't be able to do it now i'm not in the right headspace but take enough time to find the sort of fluidity within a bone and yeah feel that movement in it a living bone is so different from something dead <laughs> yeah you're really making me think because I, I do this sort of body scan thing quite a lot just what you were talking about just to feel what different parts of my body are feeling like and just working through from the toes to the top of my head and so on um and i do feel my bones but everything you're saying is making me think i'm gonna dwell a bit more on that that, that mm. there's there's more life in there i do tend to think of my bones as as objects rather than part of my living organism yeah and that's all the imagery we've been fed isn't it uh well they're blood full they've got all the nerves and the blood mm. through them mm. um and then in the long bones you've got the marrow the juicy marrow in the middle you know, that place of it's just really nourishing um Yes, I think that one really hit me in my training. I liked that particularly, but maybe I've got, I'm quite bony. So <laughs> bones is quite an easy one for me to relate to. There's other body systems that maybe don't come so naturally. Yeah. yeah. Particularly various reasons I like, I like bones. I think in terms of the mineral world, they're kind of, they're the most sort of ancient part of the body. Ancient's probably too big a word, but they relate most to kind of like the stone and mineral in the outside world. So quite like mm. that. And that place of such clarity in the body as well. So these could all be potential ways in to connect of like thinking about the biology of the bloodfulness, the nerves, the marrow, the, the constant changing of it, the relationship to the muscles, the, the sense of clearness, clarity, old stone, you know. <laughs> but also they're doing this thing of structure that we've been talking about because it like the, 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 the solidity of even though it's possible to suspend that and reform it like we've been talking about habits and tracks which are definite and and um but the but the bones aren't holding the structure that's the whole thing if we were just bones they'd fall to the ground it's it's the interrelationship to it isn't it it's the connected tissue it's the muscle it's everything that's working together you know my bones don't stay there on their own you know they're so what what's happening now is my my perception and understanding of bones is is having all its laws dissolved. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and uh, yeah, my, my concept of bones is plastic and is now being uh, reformed. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, yeah, as as they are, as they are all the time. Yeah. Mm. We were going to talk about you singing. Should we? Should we talk about that? We we can. We've got that. I know time. we've talked for ages, but. I remember you put something out there a while ago, maybe last year, maybe before, of um, a song that you shared. Maybe it was through the Association of Foragers. I remember it being with a guitar. Oh, uh, yeah. It's actually uh, my song about the polyvagal theory. Is it? That's what it was. Yeah, it's called Safe and Social. And, um, okay. Yeah. I got a bit of flack for that, actually, because people that know me really well know what a grumpy git I can be. And uh, that song is... <laughs> That song is like a, I wish I could be like this kind of song. <laughs> mm. 
But a couple of people said, you're not like that. <laughs> oh dear. But yeah, it's... Um, well, I think we often we need to learn. You know, I've talked a lot about being quite heady and, and also about, you know, the body and it's just how it is. <laughs> well, you found a real meeting place between the foraging and, um, and singing songs. The songs about plants or songs... Of... It really varies, actually. So... Yeah. I think sometimes I fall back to, oh, I'm, I want to give some information through a song. But maybe the ones that touch me more are, oh, I've realised I've, I've interpreted your question a certain way. Um, songs about the plants. So yes, uh, but it could be different parts of the plant. So sometimes it can be about my relationship to the plant or it can be about what maybe I perceive the persona of the plant is or its qualities and they might be practical qualities that are of use to us as a human or um uh, i've got one of a song about uh rock samphire and about adversity and living in harsh harsh conditions and thriving and right and another one about gorse and how it it lifts me in winter, that colour and that more sort of, it's got more of a melodic quality to, to me, for me as a plant. So, um, and some of them are just fun and I've got one about wild carrot, which is, goes back to the story of um, Queen Anne's lace. Okay. Uh, a lot of blood on, on, on lace and uh, so yeah, they vary quite a lot. And because it's such a new medium for me, you know, I don't have a history as a songwriter or as a, as a musician. So it is, and, and this comes back to play. So I, I may be a, a foraging teacher, uh, but I kind of feel that ultimately I'm an artist and I just happen to <laughs> have fallen into this. Um, so being able to bring the songs in, it, 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 it's a playful thing for me. It's, it brings the creativity in and that kind of dialogue with the whole process again, um, because inevitably at times I fall into kind of giving, giving information and, and hopefully regularly remembering it's about, it's about connection and it's, it's about how we relate as a, as a group and, um, and how we, we experience our time in nature together. I, I can't resist telling a little, um, story about Wittgenstein at this point because Ludwig Wittgenstein I don't know if you're familiar with his no. stuff but like he is famous for a, a, a his PhD got published as a book and um, the book was called the what was it the Tractatus Logico Philosophicus <laughs> and in it he tried to, to, to uh, expand this theory of language which was all about it, like that language is this incredibly precise machine, you know? So what we need to get down to is the exact logical meaning of every word. And then when we speak, we are basically putting a formula into somebody else's head, which will mean that, 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 that then the exact meaning of that phrase that we've just said will now be successfully transferred data transfer complete. Da 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 da. Okay, so nobody managed to um, refute his theory until this, this chap uh, sort of some, I don't know, 15, 20 years later, by the name of uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein, 
managed to completely refute his theory. Um, in actual fact, it was a lady on a bicycle in Cambridge, really, that refuted his theory because he was walking along thinking lofty philosophical thoughts one day, rather absentmindedly stepped out in front of this cyclist. And she stuck her fingers up at him very angrily and turned round and as she kept going and was still sticking her fingers up at him very angrily. And he sort of was shocked by this and he staggered home or staggered to, to the house of his supervisor uh, who was, um, uh, anyway, it doesn't matter, Bertrand Russell, that's it. So he goes into Bertrand Russell's house and uh, Bertrand Russell says, uh, oh, Ludwig, how, how are you? And he says, I, I run to kill myself. Uh, and he says, oh, not very good then. Uh, well, before you do, would you, would, you, would you like a cup of tea? <laughs> so he makes him a cup of tea and says, no, here's your cup of tea, now tell me. And so uh, Wittgenstein, um, I mean, I know this from the Derek Jarman film, so it might be, this is how I know this story, but yeah. he, he acts it out. Like, so Wittgenstein goes, <laughs> and then he says, there is a logical structure in this gesture. So that was it. Okay, go ahead. This entire castle of sand was defeated by an angry student on a bicycle, sticking her fingers up at him. And from then he went off and constructed this entirely different theory of language, which is summed up in, in one phrase, uh, it, it, but he published a, another incredibly dense book called Philosophical Investigations, but he's basically, he said it's all about language games in the streams of life. So he, he basically said language is, is that A plus B equals C thing. It's the dance whereby we, we relate and coordinate with each other. We're not transferring information at all. We're being together in a, in a, in a carefully structured uh, kind of dance that involves words with, with, with meanings, but they don't, take my thoughts and put them in your head. They present my, my thoughts as a shape, which you then orient yourself to, and then you orient, and, and it's, it's that to and fro, moving and being moved thing. What were you saying that I just said that in response to? Ah, bother. <laughs> oh no, uh, singing, singing, that was it. Well, just to pick up on what you said as well, it makes me also think that it's body language, you know, it's... Right. You think about, I don't know, the Dutch language doesn't have as many words as, uh, as we do, but they're very expressive with the words that they have. So it's very clear so that all of that can happen as well. Again, it's not detached, is it? It's about how you use it. You could do that with a smile. You could do that with a kind of like real anger. You know, you get, you're picking up on an atmosphere. Yeah. Well, aren't you? It's not, it's not all, again, it's not just cognitive language. You were talking about your songs, weren't you? And somehow <laughs> that seemed like a relevant story to tell, even though I can't for life of me think why it was. Yeah. Logical structure. I think you might have used the word logic or something like that. Um, okay. Well, I was talking about playing, wasn't I? And not having a background as a musician. That's right. Um, but enjoying song. And uh, actually, I did go on a, uh, a singing retreat last autumn uh, and she gave me some pointers with, with logical structures. Or playful structures as well actually and but inevitably kind of just gives me permission um, i remember one of the exercises being yeah you're allowed to write a shit song and probably you're right 10 you know nine shit songs and you might get one that's all right 
And That's my excuse for crap jokes, by the way. I'm constantly <laughs> rehearsing jokes with my kids. Okay, yeah, but once in a while, I find one you think it's funny. So, uh... <laughs> yeah, so, but, um, and maybe you were talking about a story about being able to sort of minimize something down to the essence and mm. rather than coming from a place of expression and playfulness and creativity. And they're very... They're very different starting points. One, personally, for me, makes me want to lose the will to live. <laughs> and makes me feel really quite happy. Yeah. What's enjoyable for me as well, so some of those have been in collaboration, um, which has also been really fun, and others have been just as I've walked out on my own and just sung my heart out around a plant and just kind of got into a groove with something and... Um, yeah, that's also been, yeah, really, really fun. <laughs> I remember why I told you that story now. Oh, well done. Because well you done. said, yeah, you said you said that you were um, you sometimes fall into the the uh, the mode of communicating when you're doing foraging walks of merely transmitting information, but you were alluding to the to the uh, your aspiration to not do that, and presumably that's that's more of kind of you're drawing people into a dance by showing them your relationship to the plants you're bringing them in is that was that was why i said it yeah great and that's that's more of the sea and that's more about rather than telling someone which is always a better way of teaching uh but yeah uh, it's, it, language games in the streams of life really really does it nicely because the fluidity of the idea that we're in a stream but we have we have ways of of so you're you're basically inducting people. But there are many streams of life. So you you're inducting people into this stream of life whereby you notice plants and engage with them. So that's so you're using your language to to initiate people or induct them into this stream of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think ideally yes, and and in the moment sometimes I'm juggling loads of different things as well which might be whether what's going on in, you know, in, in myself at that point, the dynamics of the group. Um, so there's, yeah, we all love it when things sort of fall into place and they flow, but sometimes things are jagged, you know, and <laughs> or jangling. Yeah. 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 And it, it's, um, I don't always find that, that place or I find it harder. I think that's what I love about walk, taking people on a walk as well. You've got time to hopefully find some kind of rhythm together or be able to drop down into something. It's like um, they talk about it with meditation practice. You know, if you sit, you sit down to meditate, you will bring whatever mind you've been practicing all day. Don't expect to kind of go straight into this, you know, lovely, serene, no thoughts place and depending what I've been practicing doing before that walk, you know, it will take me time to really arrive with those people, with the plants, with the, with the environment. Sometimes that's, yeah, it's uncomfortable, partly because I, it, it's painful. It's like a loss of a relationship and then I have to find my way with, well, find my way again. We're going off tangent again. <laughs> we, we, we'll come back. We'll come back. But, um, I just I think the way when you talked earlier about discovering your your body and and uh, the the fact that that's nature, but what what I've only just realised this week, just because I was engaging with some it was a podcast I think, and somebody just made this explicit. 
I hadn't, it's obvious, but just to make it explicit that when you're feeling your body, this is not language, that this is nonverbal. So to realize that actually our fundamental base, we are not, you know, language is an aspect of our world. But when we do physical things and when we enter into the sensory experience and so on, we're rediscovering the, the, the majority of ourselves, which is not language. And, and, um, and, and I think that's, that's the thing um, that's so available. And, and, and it's the thing that Ted Hughes said something to describe what we were talking about earlier with the hunter. And, and he said when, and he was talking literally, he'd go out with a gun to shoot stuff, you know. But he said, he said, I'm at my most alive in that position. And here you've got a poet moving into semi sort of mystical territory in, in some of his thoughts and ideas. And he was saying, this is a key thing I do. It's not writing a poem. It's going out looking for signs of life and being still and moving through that environment. I'm never more alive because I'm so tuned into every one of my senses that could potentially give me the signal that the thing I'm stalking is, is over there now and I've got to react quickly. And, um, you know, in a much more gentle and fluffy activity that we're involved in that doesn't involve killing an animal, it's the same kind of thing that we're, we're, we're switching on all of these points of contact, our senses being all these points of contact that makes us able to be moved by our surroundings. Yeah, and you said earlier about, and that's what well, these weren't your exact words, but that it makes you a better person. You know, it makes you easier to have those conversations, to be there for someone. And I was just thinking, and it makes Ted Hughes a better poet. You know, if something's not working, the best thing I can do is get outside and go for a walk or change something. Yeah. <laughs> That's still my default rather than, oh, it could be just like a little adjustment of, yeah, body. But the songs somehow come out of this kind of thing that we're talking about, you're, you're ending up. Um... Yeah, differently. Um, uh, yeah, it, it depends. I mean, it's, it's all, uh, what's the word? Uh, it's translated through a human, isn't it? And through me. So, um, yeah, maybe, should I sing one? I was, I was hoping you would. I yeah, I get that. a sense yeah. of, um, of one, and then maybe you can answer the question. I've got a couple that come to mind. You left me in the winter, yellow landscape all around. On the harsh moor by the coastline, yellow flowers I adore. In the springtime, you're a bounty. In the summer, I hear you pop. Yellow gorse flowers for infusion. Wrinkled petals on the top. That's lovely. So that, I wrote that one. I never wrote anything down. I don't even know if the words are written down now. Um, but winter before last, there was a, a patch of moor that I was going to a lot. And I'd never see anyone. Um, and, uh, yeah, it was just through wandering, wandering through there with the dog and... Um, singing my heart out really until I've got some lines. And I think there's, for, for me, 
it's not the only place, but it is one of the places where I'm less inhibited if I can just be out in nature with that. And then there's different songs that might come in collaboration with others as well. And will you sing that song lots of times? I mean, we, we, when, when you haven't been out for a walk and seen the gorse, is it, is it like saying hello gorse to sing that song again? Yeah, or even that feeling, because that feeling will come from different things of, you know, if I want to feel lifted, <laughs> it could be that song, or um, I sing to my dog sometimes, uh, just because it makes him wag his tail and then it makes me laugh, you know, and those are all the good things. So it's like anything, isn't it? There's certain things that can take us to a certain feeling and a place that can be useful, so... Yeah, I mean, just to be really generic about it, the, 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 since we've talked so much about the polyvagal theory, it's, it's worth pointing out two very polyvagal things, um, especially about your song. So the, 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 um, the lilt of the song is, is what Paul just would describe as vocal prosody. Okay. It's, it's the sing song, you know, you can talk like that and like a... a a school teacher talking to the kids in that kind of very jollying along sort of way that's a cue of safety it makes people feel safe when you do that and it switches on the social engagement um system in other people to hear a song um i mean maybe not all songs are vocal prosody there's there's, there's other styles of singing opera mm -hmm. for example would probably mm -hmm. not put me in social engagement mode anyway but uh um but your, your style is definitely that sort of folk, um, sort of like a gambling, your voice is sort of skipping along kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, but the other thing is that, that um, having your out-breath longer than the um, in-breath, as, as I mentioned earlier, is also a cue of safety to your own body. Um, and, and so you, you breathe out for a very long time when, when you're singing and breathe in very shortly to being able to do the next the next breath you know there's a very sweet dynamic in that song that is obviously your personal emotional associations and an actual like a bond of of you you feel like you are personally having a relationship with with gorse as a yeah as a plant and and um and you're expressing that in the song which is that's yeah. a very sweet very simple innocent sweet sense yeah, and I think that's why I chose to share that one because it, it, it felt that's where it came from. And like I said, uh, I've got other ones that are silly and all sorts. But, but it, you also remind me how, uh, well, it's another way of communicating, isn't it? Song is through word, but it's, it, it, something else happens and it, come, it can come more from here. And we're talking about, you know, connection and you're just talking about uh, nonverbal communication as yeah. well. And, uh, you know, the whole thing about song is that it, you know, how that brings people together and people singing together, how your heart rhythms start to synchronize. And, and it, anyway, where I'm going with that is it reminds me, so it's almost like one of my, what I really want to do with teaching foraging is using it as a tool to help connect people with nature, with the nature around them, with the nature within them. And sometimes I do that better than others. And you've just reminded me that how a, a song can bypass so much of that other stuff because it, yeah. it touches us in different places. Yeah, so I don't have to angst too much about how I do that. It's just sing a song every so often and that will sh uh, shift our gear in some way. You know? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I've once sang a song at the end of a, um, 
a foraging walk just because it was this time of year, it was May, and I'd discovered a May carol. Mm. I might stick it at the end of this podcast, actually, but, uh, but it's, um, it's an old... People, we'd used to go around, there was a whole tradition about standing at the door, holding a branch of the mm. hawthorn blossom, yeah, so that's the only time I've I've ever done singing on a foraging walk, but it just it just seemed very apt because we ended up I, I I made the the Hawthorne the last point in the walk and just sang this song. Lovely. But yeah, I had started writing a, a few um, funny little songs. They're not as as finished as that. They're, they're just a couple of lines that that need mm, to mm. probably turn into proper songs. Uh, so. Um, after I'd been tinkering around with that for for a little while, I then read on your website about what you were doing, and I thought, "Wow, this is this is um, well, it's just fun to think that it's fun, isn't it? It's fun, yeah. Is that was that your motivation that it was fun and it's something to play with? And my motivation was, if you lived in our house, it's a bit like living on the set of a musical. If somebody says a phrase, like, I, I don't know, you wouldn't say this, but it's the first thing that came to my head. I'm going to the garage for my tea. So you left mm-hmm. your cup of tea in the garage. You, you, you find these things coming out sometimes and you think that's a line from a song. So, so I mean, it, it, it kind of starts with me because I'm, I'm, I'm the most eccentric person in the house that, that doesn't worry about doing something that's a bit weird. In fact, I deliberately do it because it's a bit weird. But now it's kind of normalized. So something like that would be, I'm going to the garage for my tea. You know, and then we think, okay, well, what rhymes with that? And we might go, um, you probably think there's something strange with me, but that's how I just like to be. And so I'm going to the garage for my tea. So it's, it's quite a normal thing to make up silly songs just on the basis of some, something that, 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 that uh, and also I've taught kids, the kids um, some taxonomy by putting very boring lists of names to music. And it's amazing how I'll hear it sung back to me like three weeks later. We've just, we've, we've put this very boring. So, for example, me and Kit are learning the, uh, the uh, geological eras and periods through, through uh, putting them to song um, at the moment. Um, Great. Yeah. Well, it increases learning, you know, isn't it? It makes learning a lot faster and, you know, and joyful. So I'll just give you a little burst of that. Yeah, yeah, do, do. So here it is. It's the Mesozoic era, baby. Triassic, Jurassic, Cretaceous. And I guarantee my kids will be 90 and they'll never forget that the Mesozoic era consisted of three periods, the Triassic, Jurassic, and Cretaceous. We're working on the, um, the Paleozoic now. We haven't quite got that one, but yeah. But yeah, anyway, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a funny and ridiculous thing to make a serious point that's that words set to music you will remember, even if yeah, they're really boring and hard to pronounce. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And I still haven't found the right way to kind of marry that giving information and a song or, you know, then explaining a song. Because um, you do two things in the gorse one, don't you? You, you, you do give some, peop- some useful some, information yeah. about how to use gorse flowers right at the end. Yeah, a little bit. That's my little token. Because <laughs> mostly it's about just me and the flowers. <laughs> um, and little things that have happened along, along the way. But yeah, I do that a little bit more in other ones. Um, but you're mainly communicating that sense of wonder. You're doing what my granddad and my dad did to me. You're, you're saying, this is really special to Rachel when she's out there with the, with the gorse. There's, there's something going on there that, that's, that's really kind of, you know, 
feels really good, feels really sweet and it's nourishing kind of thing. Yeah. And I think that's the important thing to remember now. And, I, and especially, you know, yes. Well, for anyone who wants to kind of play around with songs, it's feeling of it, isn't it? And yeah, communicating something that's not necessarily about language. Would you like another one? I'm a common on bell that makes pigs swell and gives them nice fat bellies. In the autumn I'm sweet and aromatic treat that you probably have not tasted. That you probably have not tasted. Um come and 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 I'm come and 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 I'm a small flat disc, but don't take the risk if you're not sure you've found me. Cause of cousins that will kill, and that's not a thrill that you need to experience. That you need to experience. I'm coming, 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 coming. I'm coming, 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 coming. I'm coming, 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 hog Sorrel light, sorrel limp, sorrel green, sorrel sour, sorrel light, sorrel limp, sorrel green, sorrel sour, sorrel light point, sorrel limp point, sorrel green, sorrel sour, sorrel light point, sorrel limp point, sorrel green, sorrel sour, sorrel light point, sorrel limp. Points, laurel green, sorrel sour, sorrel light, sorrel limp, sorrel green, sorrel sour. Young tips in spring, the top four leaves when catkins come say no. It's food I want, not toxins, thanks, nettles to make me glow, nettles to make me glow and grow. So thanks for joining us for this week's Worldwide Podcast. And again, do, do go onto the uh, YouTube link if you'd like to watch the conversation as well as listen to it. And as ever, we'd encourage you to go to forager.org.uk forward slash podcast to see the actual podcast page, which will have um, links on it to things referred to in, in the podcast, including one to the Mayday Carol. And with that in mind, this week's plant that I want to mention is, in fact, hawthorn and hawthorn blossom. seems very apt to do that. And it's really visible in the hedgerows at the moment. You'll see the uh, the hawthorn trees in blossom. There's a very sort of strong health benefit to eating hawthorn, whether you're eating the blossom or the leaves or the berries, because uh, hawthorn is, is basically a heart medicine, or it might be better thought of as a heart tonic, because it, it basically uh, services your whole sort of cardiac system. It relaxes capillaries, it strengthens the heart muscles, all sorts of things like that. But they're all very sort of gentle tonic actions. So it's not something you could take too much of. But if, if you do have underlying sort of cardiac problems, it's well worth making hawthorn something that you eat or drink every day. I've uh, got into the habit of harvesting the blossoms and drying them. But I, and I don't just take the blossoms. I take blossom and a bit of leaf because it's easier to harvest it quickly and in reasonably large quantities that way. And, and you just dry that and use it as a tea. It's a really pleasant tea. Obviously, you can harvest the berries in the autumn and, and the more tender leaves a bit earlier in the year than now. But now's the time to harvest hawthorn blossom, otherwise known as may blossom or even may. In fact, there's an old 
poem that goes, spring cometh and the world is white with May, which is pretty much where we are at this point in the season. Okay, well, that's it. And uh, thanks again for listening to this week's Wild Wild Podcast. Awake, awake, lift up your eyes and pray to God for grace. Repent, repent of your former sins while ye have time and space. I have been wandering all this night and most part of this day. So now I have come for to sing you a song and to show you a branch of May. A branch of May I have brought you and at your door it stands. It does spread out and it spreads all about by the work of our Lord's hands. Man is but a man, his life's but a span. He is much like a flower. He's here today and gone tomorrow, so he's all gone down in an hour. So now I have sung you a little short song. I can no longer stay. God bless you all, both great and small, and I wish you a happy May. Happy man.